0: All right, guys, we'll receive the offering. And as we're receiving that, if you've got a Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to finish up a, a, a four-week Christmas series. We actually started uh, at the beginning of December. And so uh, this morning, if you're here, uh, you're, you're getting the best message because it's the, the last message of the Christmas series. And so uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we have been studying Matthew's account of the birth of Christ and his early... Uh, early childhood. And so last week we actually uh, worked through the passage where the wise men came and worshiped Jesus Christ. And so in Matthew chapter 2, if you pick it up in verse 11, uh, the Bible says that when they were come in, into the house, these wise men, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and and myrrh. And uh, and what we said a couple of weeks ago, we, we kind of framed this message or, or this series. You know, uh, sometimes our tradition about Christmas blinds us a little bit to the actual story in the Bible about Christmas and, and the birth of Christ. And uh, we jokingly said last week, you know, when you study Matthew chapter 2, you find that the wise men actually came to Jesus as a young child, not as a babe in a manger, and uh, so now you all have to go home and tear down your nativity. Or, I'm just kidding. No, don't, do, don't do that. Uh, but we do sometimes get it wrong. The Bible says that when these wise men showed up, Jesus was a child, not a babe in the manger. And it actually says that these wise men showed up at a house, not at the manger. And so a little bit of time has passed since Christ's birth. But he's still a child, probably under two years old, as we'll see in the story today. And, and these wise men are seeking him out to worship him. And when they come to, to Jerusalem, they ask a question, and, and if you weren't here, I, I think it is worth mentioning that the first question in the New Testament that's asked, in the whole New Testament is in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2. These wise men ask the question, where is he that is born, listen, king of the Jews? These wise men are looking for a king. They're not looking for a babe. They're not looking for, quote unquote, the son of God, even though he is the son of God. They, they are looking for... For a king. And that's the really the theme of the book of Matthew. It portrays Christ as the king of the Jews. And at Christmas, man, we we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate his birth, we celebrate the baby in the manger, and those things are wonderful. But that babe was fully intended and was a king. And and a king represents authority, right? A king represents a, a, a rulership over a kingdom. A king requires submission and obedience. You know, sometimes a king makes war, and sometimes a king executes judgment, and, and, and listen, the same Christ that was the babe, the Son of God, is also, he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he's worthy to be worshiped, and so uh, that's where we've been the last several weeks, and we want to finish this morning in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 to 23, about 10 verses, and uh, they're on the screen, and I would invite you to follow along as we look at this passage. And so the Bible says in verse 13 that when they were departed, these wise men were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. And I just want you to pay attention in this text to how many times you see the word, the word fulfilled. Because God is going to show us that the birth of Christ and this early childhood of Christ is fulfilling biblical prophecy. So, so out of Egypt I've called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and he sent forth and he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under. Horrendous act of violence, uh, trying to destroy the king. According to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in Ramah there was heard a voice of lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they that, are, they that are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and he took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, in other words, Herod died, but now his son has assumed the rulership, Joseph was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be what fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. As we finish our series this morning of the king and the king is coming and the Christmas story, I just want to reiterate the point that the story of Christ's birth and his early childhood is all about God's word being fulfilled. It was mentioned in Sunday school. I think it's worth mentioning in, uh, in big church. When God speaks his word, you can, you can take it to the bank that it's going to come true. You know God can't lie, right? Did you know that? God is actually bound by his word and bound to his word. And, and God, because God is God, he cannot lie. Anything he prophesies or proclaims, is going to come to pass. And so this morning, we're going to take just a little bit to to look at these three prophecies that are fulfilled in the early childhood of Christ, but then we're going to make practical application. Because the truth is, we all need to learn something today about Jesus and something that we can walk out with and apply today. And so uh, my prayer for you all week has been that God would, would give you exactly what you need today to be more like Christ. And so number one, let's just get into it this morning. Prophecy number one, we're going to see that Jesus Christ was called out of Egypt. He was called out of Egypt. Now remember the angel of the Lord showed up to Joseph in a dream and he said, Listen, take the young child and his mother into Egypt, and you stay there until I tell you to leave. And the reason why is because Herod is going to try to destroy the child Jesus. And and, and listen, Herod was a wicked king. He hated Christ, he hated the threatening that there's another king. This is a prophecy that God foresaw, foreordained. As a matter of fact, it says that that he went into Egypt to be called out of Egypt so that prophecy could be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. And so listen, in your blank, look, there is an Old Testament reference to what is happening in Matthew 2 and it comes from Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1 and the verse says when who was a child when israel was a child then i loved him and i called my son out of and of egypt now wait a second that already had happened for the nation of israel that happened actually in the book of exodus how many of you have read the story of exodus where israel is delivered from pharaoh listen hosea is prophesying and stating something that had already happened historically, actually something in the past. Well, every portion of scripture has a past application, a historical application. You can trust that your Bible is 100% historically accurate. You can trust it because God cannot lie. It is 100% historically accurate. And listen, historically, God did call his son out of Egypt and he did that in the book of Exodus. And, and so Israel coming out of Egypt at the Exodus is historically when God did that. And that's what, that's what Hosea is talking about. And you know the story. Listen, God told the nation of Israel, you go get a lamb, but not just any lamb, you get the lamb. And that, you take that lamb and you make it your lamb and you sacrifice that lamb and you put the blood of that lamb on your doorpost." and I'm going to send my Passover angel through the, through the land. And if he sees the blood, he won't execute judgment on this house. But if he doesn't see the blood, the firstborn of every household would die. Do you remember the story? And so listen, you know the story. They were, they were obedient to that. The Bible says that they were delivered from the judgment that was coming into the land through the blood of the lamb. All of that foreshadows Christ. And listen, after they were delivered from from Egypt they they came out of Egypt that's a picture of salvation well you know the rest of the story the bible says that they went to the red sea and they were baptized in the red sea 1st corinthians chapter 10 tells us they went in through the sea you say jay they didn't get wet in the red sea well they had water on either side and they had a cloud above them they were surrounded on three sides by water and 1st corinthians 10 says that that is a baptism and so after their deliverance They were baptized unto Moses in the Red Sea, a picture of our baptism after we get saved. And then the Bible says that they went into the wilderness. And they went into the wilderness not to stay there, but actually on the way to a place called Canaan, the Promised Land. Do you remember that? God's intention was that Israel would not get hung up in the wilderness, but they would get to the Promised Land. And listen, Canaan was still full of enemies. But God promised that the nation of Israel would be victorious as long as they walked with God. Well, look, historically, that's what Hosea is talking about. God brought them out of Egypt to bring them in to the promised land. But you know what? Israel has had a problem. Even though God delivered them from Egypt, which is they were in slavery, they were in bondage, they were oppressed. When they were in the wilderness, they realized walking with God's kind of tough even though they had manna from heaven, even though they had water given to them from the rock, they realized that walking with God's tough. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7 that Israel's heart actually turned back to Egypt. Now now that sounds crazy. They, They forgot the bondage and the pain and the persecution and the suffering that they were in in Egypt. How could a people that experienced God's deliverance ever desire to go back to the very place in, in which they were in bondage. But they did. And, and your Old Testament is full of God trying to... It really is God trying to get the nation of Israel where He intended them to be, in Canaan, into the Promised Land. Well, that's all the history, and you know, history is born, right? But listen, practically, let me give you some practical application. Because you know what? When you get saved, at the moment of salvation, God delivers you from Egypt, God brings you out of Egypt. You see, presently speaking, what happens to you and I at the moment of salvation is that God calls us out of Egypt because Egypt, you say, Jay, I've never been to Egypt. Never, been, never even been on an airplane. I know that. But you know what? You've been in bondage to sin, just like I have. You've been oppressed by the devil just like I have. You've been against the very things of God, just like I have. And listen, at the moment of salvation, God calls us out of Egypt. You see, Egypt in the Bible is always a picture or a type of the world, and it's always a picture or type of bondage. It always is. And and practically speaking, listen, every one of us, even though we weren't in the literal nation of, of Egypt, and we didn't have Pharaoh over us and taskmasters, and we didn't have to make bricks with mud like the, the Israelites did. Listen, you and I and our sin, the Bible says we we're in bondage. We're in bondage to sin. And there was a devil that, that, that determined nothing but evil toward us and wanted to see us destroyed. And yet somebody came and gave us the glorious news that, listen, there is a Passover lamb that has been sacrificed for you, and his name is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says that even Christ, our Passover. You say, Jay, I'm not Jewish. You know what? That's awesome, because you still have a Passover lamb, and his name is Jesus Christ. Our Passover is sacrificed for us, and God has delivered us from Egypt, and God's put us on a trajectory to get somewhere, now, now, listen, Canaan, there's a lot of bad doctrine in songs about Canaan land, can I just tell you? Not every Christian song is a good song if it didn't line up with the Bible. Okay, I appreciate you, amen, in that because I, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Canaan is not heaven. And the reason Canaan is not a picture of heaven is because there's still enemies in Canaan. But Canaan in the Bible is a picture for you and I of the spirit filled life, the victorious Christian life. Hey, there's still enemies. But if I walk with God, God will give me the victory every single time. So listen, after you got saved, whether you realized it or not, you still have some enemies working against you. You still have your flesh working against you. Has anybody struggled with their flesh since they got saved? Hello? All right, the rest of you are liars. You just struggle with your flesh. That's okay. This world system is against God. Did you know that? This world system is against Christ's body. Since you've been saved, you've had trouble in this world. Because the devil is in control of this world. And you've had problems from the devil himself. Because the Bible says that he is a thief. He wants to kill us and, and to steal from us and destroy us. And so we still have enemies. God has on a, us on a trajectory, not to a physical place called Canaan, but he's got us on a trajectory of a spirit-filled life that should be victorious. Can I warn you? Just like the nation of Israel turned their heart back to Egypt, there's a lot of Christians, saved people, born again, know they're saved. But their heart's not getting to where God wants them to get. Their heart actually turns back to the very things and places and people that God delivered them from. You know, Christ is fulfilling prophecy because out of Egypt, he's called Nobody wants to stay in Egypt in the Bible that's really right with God. Everybody wants to get out of Egypt. Man, you you read about the the nation of Israel and and the patriarchs and all those guys. Even if they were buried in Egypt, they said, look, hey, when y'all get up out of here, take my bones with you. Let's get up out of Egypt because we don't want a part of that at all. And so listen, the, the question is for us, look, are we fully following Christ? Have we been delivered out of Egypt? Positionally, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been saved from your sin. You've been saved from this world system. You've been saved from the power of the devil. You've been saved from the victory that your flesh could have over you positionally. But practically, you have to exercise that every single day. You have to to make sure as a child of God that you haven't gone back to to the very thing that God had delivered you from. Does that make sense? And so listen, Presently speaking, we've all been called out of Egypt if, you, if you're born again. If, you, if you're still in Egypt, God wants to deliver you today. You can be saved today from your sin. And then prophetically, listen, God is also going to call His Son, Israel, out of Egypt in the future. And, and again, this is just for those of you that are, that are students of the Bible and like to study the Bible. Christ, in Matthew chapter 2, is a type or a picture of Israel as a nation being persecuted. There's a wicked king that's trying to kill him. And, and it is interesting that these Gentile wise men brought their treasures for protection and for provision, and God moves his son to Egypt to protect him. Gentile nations that are helping the nation of Israel during the future tribulation period. That's all future. Come back some other time and we'll talk about that. Here's the key principle we need to learn. Here's the key principle. At the moment of salvation, God calls me out of Egypt. In other words, God called me out of my sin. He called me out of this world system. He called me out of bondage. Aren't you thankful for that? He called me out of Egypt and his intention is to bring me in to the fullness of the spirit-filled life. That's God's will. That's God's intention for every one of us. I'm telling you, it wasn't just enough that God delivered you from Egypt. But God has purpose for you, God has a plan for you, God wants you to walk victorious with him, and it's only through walking with him that you can have that victory. Christ was called out of Egypt. All right, let's look at the second prophecy real quick. Number 2, we see we see that Christ is persecuted in an attempt to prevent God's calling. We see that Christ is persecuted in an attempt to prevent God's calling. Now, we see that in verses 16 to 18, right? Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth, listen, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet, saying in Ramah, there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Listen, this, again, man, this is a hard story to, to, to teach through on, on Christmas, you know, as we celebrate Christmas, but this is part of the story. And, and listen, what a horrific and inhumane act that this wicked king, he would not humble himself to worship the one true king. Instead, he tried to destroy the one true king of kings and Lord of Lords. And so what he did was he, had all, he sent out a, 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 a governmental decree that all children under the age of two were to be killed. Not only in Bethlehem, but the Bible says through all the coasts thereof. In other words, every bordering area that was adjacent to Bethlehem, every child under two was to be killed. That's horrific. That's horrible. That's satanic. That's wicked. You know, the sad thing is, as we study the Bible, that's not the first time that a wicked king executed infanticide. You know, if you go back to the book of Exodus, it's not on the screen, but there was a, there was a king named Pharaoh. And, and when the nation of Israel in Egypt was multiplying and growing, well, of course, Pharaoh felt threatened and said, man, if they get too big, they'll rule over us. They'll align themselves with our enemies. They'll defeat us. And so for the sake of... Pr- Preservation, he said, Look, every male child that's born, you kill him. If, if it's a daughter, you let, you let her live. But if it's a, a male, you kill that child. And of course, that's the famous story of Moses. We know that his parents hid him in the reed. And of course, he was raised in, in Pharaoh's home and, and ultimately became the deliverer. I find it very interesting that when there's a deliverer on the, on the brink, that there's always infant side. And, and I'm going to say some things that may not be Christmas appropriate, but they are certainly are Bible appropriate. God values the human life. God values it. And he, he values it more than our government. He values it more than our nation. I do find it very interesting that we are the new Romans. And prophetically speaking, there is a king coming... And listen, the devil is at work trying to prevent it any way he can. I do find it very interesting that on the brink of a deliverer, there's always children that suffer. So you look at the political climate of a certain topic that I will not mention for courtesy's sake in this country. And you better believe that we're on the brink of the coming king. We're on the brink of it. The reason why is because, because the Lord is coming, and, and, and wicked men and the devil that controls this world literally are in control. And so, and so listen, this king is trying to stop this king to, to take his throne. And that's a prophecy that was that's prophesied in Jeremiah 31 and verse 15. You see that all the way back in the Old Testament. The prophet Jeremiah gave us that prophecy. We see it in Matthew chapter 2. And I want to just, there's a lot of places we could go this morning concerning that text, but we don't have time because you didn't pack a lunch. (laughs) But let me give it a practical point because you need this. It is interesting that Christ's birth was a spiritual birth. Do you realize that Mary conceived because of the Holy Ghost? She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And so listen, there was a miraculous spiritual birth. And immediately after a miraculous spiritual birth, there was opposition and persecution. And so here's the key principle that you need to understand this morning. After your spiritual birth, well, listen, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution. The Bible says that Mary is with child of the Holy Ghost. Jesus' birth was the work of the Holy Spirit of God. After he was born, Herod did everything he could do to kill that young child who was destined to be king. And listen, that is a type or a picture or an example for you and I. Because listen, that trajectory that God has put you on, when God called you out of Egypt, Christian, God put you on a trajectory to bring him joy and fulfillment and honor. And ultimately, God has called every one of us to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. Did you know that? So listen, getting to heaven is not the goal. The Christian. That's not the goal. The goal is to prepare to rule and reign with Christ. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible says that He hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 says, If we suffer, we also shall reign. With him, and if we deny him, he will also deny us, not deny your salvation, deny your opportunity to reign with him. Listen, God's intention through your spiritual birth was to reign, was to rule and reign with Christ. And listen, after your spiritual birth, just like Christ's miraculous birth, there is a Herod that wants to oppose and wants to persecute and wants to destroy and wants to keep you from becoming the very thing that God intended. Did you know that? There's opposition. There's an enemy that's worse than Herod <laughs> called the devil. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says this, that the thief, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. John chapter 8 and verse 44 says, you're of your father, the devil. And the, the devil has no good intention for any of us. Please. The lust of your father, you will do. He was a what? He was a murderer from the beginning. And he abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. Listen, I want you to understand this morning, if you're saved and you've had a spiritual birth, and by the way, the only way you get saved is to have a spiritual birth. You've not always been a Christian. I talk to people sometimes and they say, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. I've not always been a human. I have a birth certificate. (laughs) I have a birth certificate. And there was a moment in history at a certain day, at a certain time when my physical life began. And listen, there's a certain day and a certain time where your spiritual life should have began through a birth. Through a birth. And listen, if you can't find that in, in, in the in the memory of where you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you today. Today can be your day of birth spiritually. You can be saved today by accepting Christ. But listen, if you have done that already and you've experienced that spiritual birth, you know what I'm saying is true because you've already experienced that opposition and that persecution. had not you? And the reason it's there in your life is because there is a devil that does not wants you to achieve the thing that God intends for your life. To position your life to bring God glory so that for all of eternity you can rule and reign with Him. You see, I'm, I'm scared in the 21st century that there are some Christians that settle for less than what God has intended for them. If God's destined you to be a king and, and to rule and reign with Christ and, and God has destined you to be a part of His kingdom, Not just heaven, but a part of his kingdom. Why would you settle for anything less than that? Listen, and again, this Herod went to extreme measures. Everybody under two is going to die. Well, thankfully, God has his his protective hand even in the midst of the devil's attempts because God tells Joseph, take the child and move. Go, go. God always is interested in protecting his, his people and his children. Listen, and because Joseph obeyed God's word, he was protected. He was safe. He got uncomfortable. He had to go places he didn't probably think he would ever go. But he was right in the will of God for his life. You see, God wants you walking victoriously in him and obedient in him. And, and sometimes persecution in our life, we don't see it, but it, it prevents us from becoming the very thing that God intends for us. And in order to stay victorious, just like Joseph, we may have to change some things in our life. It not change hard. Yes. Ain't it hard? Yes. Look, man, it's hard. Change is hard. You change the schedule, you change a routine, you change a habit. I've been working on changing a habit about exercise for you know, a few years. <laughs> I can speak with authority on this issue that it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard, and I'm really struggling. It's just hard. Joseph had to make some change to make sure that he was protected. Now, if he would have stayed where he was, what would have happened? What would have happened? They would have killed Christ, or at least attempted. So he had to change. He had to change and obey God's word to stay under God's hand of protection and provision. You know, the same thing's true of you and me. When I got saved, and nobody told me the the end of the story. But when I got saved, and nobody told me this, I figured out real quick that my life can't be the same as what it was. There's been a whole lot of change in the last 20-something years since I've been born again. And, and I'm, I'm scared there's still more change coming. How about you? God, God wants us to change. God wants us to protect us. God, God wants to make us victorious in Him. That means that we may have to flee from some things. We may have to change our direction so that we can honor the Lord and be under his providential hand of protection. And here's the reality on this point, and then we'll move on, we'll finish. Every Christian in this room this morning is, number one, a victim, or number two, victorious. Every Christian is either a victim or victorious. And it all depends on how you respond to God's word. Because God came to Joseph in a dream and said, get up out of here, because Herod's coming to kill your son, or, or to kill Christ, Mary's son. He said, you have got to move. And when we hear God's word, I think many times in our culture of Christianity, it's hard to, it, it, we probably are okay hearing it, but the change and applying it is really the difficult part. It's difficult for me. Can I just tell you as your, as your pastor and as a preacher, it's difficult for the guy that's sharing this with you. And I know it's difficult for you too. That's why we need each other. And we need each other to encourage each other. Look, man, you can do this. Here's what God's word says. Stay under his protective hand because persecution will will arise. It will come. Don't be a victim. Don't be a casualty. Be victorious in Christ. Okay, I hope that helps. Number three, let's go. Number three, prophecy number three. So God moves him to Egypt, then he calls him back out of Egypt, and and then they come back to Israel, and they find out that Herod's son now has assumed the throne, and you know, Joseph probably thinks, well, the fruit doesn't fall far from the from the tree. You've heard that. And so if his dad was wicked, there's probably a really good chance the son is wicked. And so Joseph was fearful. Look at verse 22. When they heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, to go there. Notwithstanding, listen to this, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Talking about Christ, he shall be called a Nazarene. So the last point is this, prophecy number three is this, preparation in Nazareth. Preparation in Nazareth. And we're seeing what happened in Christ's life at this point. Now listen, on the other two examples There was a prophecy that was given, and then it was fulfilled in Matthew two, and in both previous examples, I gave you the Old Testament reference, right? Because that's kind of how we think of prophecy. Somebody back there said it, and then it happened in the New Testament. That's that's kind of how it works. He said that was going to happen; it happened. And usually, there's a reference or or several references. Well, let me give you the Old Testament reference to what God prepared or, or God said about Jesus Christ being a Nazarene. You ready? Here it is. Here's the Old Testament reference. There ain't one. There's not one. You say, wait a second. How can you, how can you have a prophecy that's not recorded in the Old Testament? How can it be a prophecy? How could God have said that if, if it wasn't recorded? And listen, people come to this passage, and, and this is just for Uh, For those of you that really love the Word of God, this is one of those passages where critics of the Bible will say, see, it says there's a prophecy, but there's no Old Testament prophecy about Christ being a Nazarene. Well, here's what you need to know. Not everything that was prophesied was recorded in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the verse says in verse 23 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. And again, you need to come back so we can teach you this, but, but there is a biblical process. Listen, when the Holy Spirit of God moved through men of God, they didn't write down the words, they actually spoke the words. Prophecy from the prophets resulted in a spoken word, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. The Bible says the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God wrote what they heard. That's not what it says, is it? Holy men of God, what? Spake Spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do you see that inspiration, that that a prophet would speak God's word and then later on God would use other people to capture those words and write them down? Does that make sense? So what you have is inspiration. Inspiration always results in God's word being spoken. So there is no conflict or, or or contradiction in your Bible, holy prophets spoke that Jesus Christ was going to be a Nazarene. You say, where was it recorded? In Matthew chapter 2. <laughs> it was recorded in Matthew chapter 2. And there's other examples in your Bible. Uh, for instance, in, uh, in the book of Acts chapter 20, uh, when Paul is meeting with the elders at Ephesus, he tells them, hey, do you remember the, Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? How he said, it's more blessed to give than receive? And listen, if you scour the four Gospels in the New Testament, you will not find one single time where Jesus Christ said, in the Gospels, it's more blessed to give than receive. So how did Paul know that Jesus said that? Well, the Holy Spirit told him. (laughs) And And then it was recorded through the Apostle Luke. And so here's what you need to know concerning at least this initial point. Don't come to the Bible critically. Come to the Bible believingly. And here's what we need to have comfort in. Look, the Holy Spirit has the patent, has the patent on God's words. So you can trust them with certainty. You can, you can trust them. You can trust every word in that Bible. And you don't come to it as the words of men, and you don't, you don't come to it as, well, you know, the Greek and Hebrew. Listen, you just come believing that God is able to inspire and preserve His word for you. And if you receive it as God's word, well, God's word is authoritative. My word's not authoritative. Cody's word's not authoritative, but God's word is authoritative. And so listen, God said that this this child is going to be called a Nazarene. And so this will be the last point. Let's work through this and we're done. You know, there are different schools of thought on what this means uh, as a Nazarene. Uh, Obviously, the, the literalist interpretation is that he's from Nazareth, okay? He's from Nazareth, uh, but also, some people say, well, a Nazarene, that's a Messianic title. Uh, some people try to link it back to number six uh, with a Nazarite, like the Nazarite vow uh, that's mentioned in Numbers chapter six. It is interesting that when you read number six, uh, the Nazarite could not touch a dead body. And, and you've got to ask the question, well, did Jesus ever touch a dead body? Um, the other thing is that he never... He never uh, the Nazarite couldn't drink wine or grape juice. And so the question is, did Jesus drink wine or grape juice? And that's another question for you to study on your own. Here's, here's what I think the literalist, strictest interpretation is. It just means that Jesus was from Nazareth. As a matter of fact, the phrase Jesus of Nazareth shows up 21 times in your New Testament. Every time he up, sh- and let me just give you a few examples. In Matthew 21, the multitude, when they saw Jesus, they says, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, hey, you remember Nazareth? That's Jesus from Nazareth. In John chapter one, you know, Nathaniel uh, and, and, and Philip were together, and then Nathaniel said, "Can there any, be any good thing that come out of Nazareth?" And, and that just kind of gives you a little bit of the Jewish slant. Nazareth was part of Galilee, and so it was Gentile in nature. Acts chapter twenty-two and verse eight, when when Paul was or Saul was on the Damascus road. And Jesus Christ revealed himself. Paul says in Acts chapter 22 and verse 8, when the Lord spoke, he said to Paul, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Even Jesus said, I just want you to know where I'm from. I'm from Nazareth. Now the word Nazarene does literally mean one that's separated. And so in your blank, look, the word Nazarene, it, it does carry the same meaning as the word Nazarite in the sense that it means one separated, unto God. This is where, this is the city where Joseph and Mary and Christ made their dwelling. And so literally what you have is Christ's birth in Bethlehem. You have him fleeing to Egypt, going back to Israel, and landing in Nazareth to dwell. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 to 40, the other Christmas story in Luke's gospel it says, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. I mean, you know how it is. Where are you from, man? Where are you from? I tell people I'm from L.A. Oh, out west? No, I'm from lower Alabama. I'm from L.A., lower Alabama, the, the whopping metropolis called New Brockton, Alabama, Alabama. Enterprise, Alabama, for reference for those of you who don't know where that is. Dothan and Troy, for reference where you don't know where that is. South of Montgomery, for the rest of y'all folks. Okay, so where are you from? Man, I'm from New Brockton. That's where I'm from. These guys are from Nazareth. That's their home city. Look at verse 40, because there's something really special that happens in Nazareth with Jesus Christ. The child, what? He grew. He waxed strong in spirit. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Where did all of that happen? It happened in Nazareth. It happened in Nazareth. And and, and listen, if, if you were to take the time, we'll take the time. Can you give me five minutes? Listen, Nazareth was the time of separation And it was the time of preparation for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. If Christ needed Nazareth, you do too. You need a Nazareth in your life. Every believer needs a Nazareth. Listen, you need a time of separation and preparation because there is a mission that God wants you to accomplish. There's a mission that God wants every one of us to accomplish. We have to prepare for that. So much so that God at the end of this Christmas story, man, shows us where the Lord landed. He landed in Nazareth. And, and, and many of you have read the, the other account in Luke chapter 2, just a few verses down in verses 46 and 7. It says it came to pass that after three days uh, they found him in the temple. You know that Mary and Joseph would go every year to Jerusalem to offer offerings and sacrifices and all those things. And every year they would bring Jesus Christ with them. Well, listen, when he was 12 years old, the Bible says that they found him in the temple, they lost him, they left Jerusalem without him, they went back to look for him, and they found him sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Twelve years old, probably at least ten of those years, in Nazareth. Preparing, growing, growing powerful in the spirit, having the grace of God on him. Listen, God gives us a great example through his own life and through his own testimony. We need a Nazareth. We need to be prepared for what God has called us to do. And let me just make a point on this text right here. You know what? Growing growing Christians know how to listen Growing Christians know how to ask questions. Growing Christians know how to understand and even answer questions. You can measure maturity through what comes out of somebody's mouth. And you certainly could with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the doctors and and these lawyers, the the religious leaders, were astonished at this 12-year-old young man's wisdom and his understanding of the Scriptures. One last verse, Matthew chapter 4. It is from Nazareth... Many many years later, that Jesus Christ launches his personal ministry. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter four verse twelve it says this: When Jesus has heard that John was sent into prison, he departed into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and, and Naphtalem, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, "The land of Zabulon uh, and the land of Nephi." Uh, Neptilim by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Listen, and from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What were those wise men looking for in Matthew 2? Show us where the king of the Jews is. Well, Matthew chapter 4, he says, here I am. And the king is making his kingdom available. You see, he had to spend some time in Nazareth, and we do too. We call that discipleship at this church. We call that spiritual growth. We call that maturity. We have a process in place for you to grow here. We want you to grow here. We understand that if you're ever going to become the Christian that God calls you to become, you've got to be prepared. You've got to grow. You've got to have people that can instruct you and encourage you and point you in the right direction. Listen, I got saved at the age of 21. I'm nobody. But when I got saved, I had men in our church that came and invested their life in me and invested that book in me. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today wouldn't be doing what God's called me to do. I wouldn't be equipped to do what God's called me to do without time in Nazareth. It took a long time. Jesus began his public ministry at 30 years old. Most of us don't want to spend 28 years in Nazareth, do we? We don't want to spend the time, the investment, the sacrifice, not being on the the front end of the ministry, but actually learning and listening and and, and answering questions and asking questions. And for every young leader in here, God ought to give you some instruction this morning. God's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. But there's a process that has to be fulfilled. And so close your Bibles this morning. Just a couple of questions. I'm thankful that you're here today. You know, this is a, a powerful passage for us. Many, many times we don't preach this passage as it relates to Christmas. But it is about Christ. And God delivered him from Egypt. Man, he called him out of Egypt. And my first question to you this morning is this. Number one, have you been saved? Have you been born again? Do you know that you've been saved? Do you remember the time in your life where somebody presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? And your mind ought to race back to that place right now and just thank God and rejoice that somebody brought that message of redemption to you. Man, if you've never heard that, if you never responded to that, maybe you've never even understood that in your own life, you can can make that decision today. You can trust in Jesus Christ today. He wants to call you out of the bondage and the persecution and the pain and suffering of sin so that you can be free. Second question is this. Look, for those of us that have been saved, we, we probably all experience persecution. Amen. Realize that that persecution is to get us from, from the devil's perspective, to get us off track from what God intends for our life. And many times those are, those are things that, that move us away from God's very intention, For our life. And it certainly can be physical things, it can be mental things, it can be emotional things, it can be the things of this world that the devil uses to bring us back into bondage. Listen, if you're experiencing that, trust in the Lord, obey His word so that you can be victorious. You don't have to be a victim. And when I say victim, I mean a Christian that's saved but never fulfills God's mission. That's a victim. That's a victim. Don't be a victim today. And then, number three, look. Some of us need to realize it's time to prepare. We we need to get serious about preparing because God has a wonderful ministry he's calling us to. He's calling us to a wonderful ministry. He wants to use us to proclaim the name of Christ, to, to make disciples of all nations. That takes preparation. It takes preparation. And so for some of you today, my prayer is that you realize, you know what? I need to get ready. I need to get ready. And one of the things you can do is let me know as your pastor, man, I need to get ready what do I need to do? I need to be discipled. I need to disciple somebody else. I need to sign up for MTT. I need to be at church every week so I can learn what God has for me so I can grow spiritually. All right, that's my prayer. Let's just bow our heads and pray and and close in prayer today. Father, I do love you, Lord. I thank you for your word.